Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us for our series, Margins. Today, as we begin our study, lead pastor David Fossil helps us understand what margins are in our lives and the impact we and others have on them. Join us as we find areas of our lives that are affected when we lack margins and how we can make changes with our time that will create margins. Go ahead, take your study guide that's in your program, turn to Luke chapter 4, page 727. If you grabbed a Bible in the back, page 727, Luke chapter 4. As you are turning there, let's start out with a question. In the last two to three weeks, how many of of you here have either felt stressed, experienced financial tension, or wish you had more time for yourself? Show of hands, let me see. Yeah, feel like putting two hands up, don't you? (laughs) You know, we are living in a culture that is constantly pushing us, right, to the limit. And uh, pushing us to accomplish more and to do more and to work more and to exercise more, to add more things to our schedule and to buy more. It's just more, 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 more. And that's why we feel like we're at the end of our rope. We feel like we're drowning. We feel like, you know, we're just barely hanging on, right? Because of the pace that we're living. If we're honest with ourselves, we are living, many of us, an unsustainable, unbiblical life. It's hard to keep it up. We can't keep it up. With that in mind, we are uh, starting a series today. We're going to be doing it just for three weeks. We're calling it Margin. And uh, what we're going to encourage you to do is to try and create margin in your life. More room, more space in your life. So let's just start by, by talking about the definition of margin. Our working definition of margin is this right here. Let's put it on the screen. Margin is the amount available to us beyond what is necessary. The amount available to us beyond what is necessary. So let's talk about a couple examples. Uh, you know, some of us talk about living paycheck to paycheck. We bring the paycheck in, we pay all the bills, there's not, nothing left. We, we bring the paycheck in, we pay all the bills, there's nothing left. That's paycheck to paycheck. If you have anything left at the end of the month, that is your margin. The less you have, or some of us have no margin. Margin is what we have left over, the extra Let's talk about parking. Have you ever gone to one of those garages where you're trying to park and it seems like every, every parking space is for compact cars? Have you, have you ever gone there and you're trying to pull in and you can't hardly pull in because there's not hardly any room? They haven't given you much margin. If from a parking standpoint, the extra space they give you is the margin that you have to park. Have you ever, have you ever had a conversation with a close talker? You know the close talkers, right? They stand really close to you, right? And you back up and they they move closer to you. Doesn't that make you feel a little awkward? Why? Because they're in your space. They're breaking the margin, right? The margin between between the the two of us. Um, You know why people like flying first class? I've never flown first class. I've tried to sneak in a couple times, but they always shoo me off and close the curtain, right? Why do people like to fly first class? Because there's more margin, There's more elbow room, there's more leg room than you get in coach. The word margin comes from a piece of paper. It's the the white section around the border that you're not really supposed to write in. Or on a Word document that, you know, it it stops right there. Have you ever read a newspaper or seen a book where they don't have margins or they take it way out to the end? You can do that in a Word document and increase your margin. It's weird to look at that. It's almost stressful to look at that. And so it is in life when you, you don't have Margin. Now, here's the thing about margin in life. This is not just something we're talking about, something creative, so you can have a more enjoyable life. That's going to be true. We are talking about practical things here. But margin is also spiritually significant for our lives. 
You see, God mandated margin. He had this deal going with the Jewish people, the, the, the Israel. And he, he starts this deal with them. He says, okay, I'm going to work through you to bless the world. Okay, so I'm going to organize how you're going to live and what you're going to do. We're going to come up with some rules, suggestions, regulations. Okay, this is what you're going to do. In terms of work, I want you to work six days a week. Five days for your employer, one day for yourself. You get to do laundry and the groceries and run the kids to soccer and all that kind of stuff and the, the mow the lawn. Six, five days for your employer, one day for yourself. And then that, that, the, the, the other day in the week, I want it to be margin for you. I don't want you to do what you normally do. It's going to be different. It's your margin. We're going to call it Sabbath. That's what we're going to call it. And the Jewish people said, okay, that sounds like a pretty good gig. And so they did it for a while. And then after a while, they thought, you know what? I think we could figure this out better. And they started doing their own thing. And they they started forgetting about margin and about the Sabbath. So God said, okay, I'm going to teach them. I'm going to help them learn. So he allowed the Babylonian people to invade them and to take them away as slaves for many years until they finally got it. Some of us this morning need to get it. We need to get that we are living on biblical, unsustainable lives because we have little to no margin in our lives. When you don't have margin, when I don't have margin, three things happen. Look at them on the screen, jot them down if you want. First of all, failure is more likely. Failure is more likely. Have you ever been driving in a foreign country, especially in Europe? Have you noticed that the lanes there are much tighter than they are here in the States? If you're driving, let's just say on a road, on a highway, do you prefer to have four inches between you and the other car on either side of you or four feet? Four feet. Why? Because it, it, the, the less margin you have, the greater the probability that someone's going to make a mistake and there's going to be an accident. At the end of the month, do you want a little bit of extra money or do you want more extra money? You want as much as you can, ideally after you've paid the bills. Why? Because you know how this works. If you're the one who pays the bills at work, at home, um, once you're done paying the bills, if there's no or little margin, it's very difficult when your kid comes and says, I just broke my, my, my jeans, I need new shoes, I have this fee or that fee. If any kind of unexpected bill or expense, and it's a potential chaos. You know, the fridge goes out, the car's a problem with the car. I have very little to no margin, so you're living on the edge, which is kind of leads to the next one. It increases the stress level. Isn't that true? If you have very little margin, if you have very little extra time, if you have very little extra money, it, it, very little extra of the things you need increases the stress level in your life. If you're driving to an appointment, Let's just say it's a job interview in Berkeley. You, 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 you map quest it. It's going to take me 20 minutes. Ah, 20 minutes, I know a shortcut. I'm going to give myself 15. So you start driving and, oh my goodness, there's, you know, there's a detour, there's traffic, there's this. And you look at your watch and you know, oh, I'm, I'm not going to be on time. What starts happening to your heart rate? Starts pumping faster. You start getting stressed out because you've not left yourself much margin. I kind of experienced this in my life just recently. Many of you didn't hear about this. The staff and, and the elders and Sandy knew about it. But I was planning to go to Africa this month to go uh, and do a pastor's conference there, some training. And uh, I, so I'm filling out the paperwork to go to Liberia and the visa application. And on the visa application, it says you, you, you will not be granted a visa to travel to our country without proof that you've had yellow fever vaccination. 
no problem. I've had vaccinations before. So I go to Kaiser, and there I am with my nurse in the injection clinic, and I got my arm, and she, you know, she's ready. She's got the needle right here, and I go, wait one minute. Is, is, that, is that a live yellow fever vaccination or a dead fever vaccination? She goes, oh, no, this is a live one. I said, do you mind real quick just walking down the hallway to my doctor? And, uh, because I'm on a medication for a rare form of arthritis. It helps me a lot. Um, but I remember him, I think, saying that I, I, I probably shouldn't get live vaccinations. Could you just check? So she walks down, and my doctor comes jogging down like about five minutes later. Do not give him that vaccination. It's incredibly dangerous. Okay, give him the dead, dead virus uh, yellow fever vaccination. So I go off to the, to, you know, wait, and I'm reading the magazines and stuff. I'm waiting there for about an hour and a half, two hours. And, and my, uh, the person giving an injection comes out, and she says, we got a little problem. They don't make yellow fever dead vaccinations. So, so you, there's, no, there's no vaccination to give you. And I go, well, I can't get my visa if I don't get the vaccination. She goes, we've already figured it out. Um, and we've talked to a couple of the travel nurses and everything. And there's a special form that we can fill out. I'm saying that you couldn't get this vaccination. We'll give it to you and they will approve your visa. And I'm like, well, that's good. I get my visa. And then I stopped and I go, wait a minute. But that doesn't solve the yellow fever thing. What about the yellow fever thing? <laughs> she goes, oh, yeah, well, and... Um, I go, what am I going to do to not get yellow fever? I said, what is yellow fever? Is it like really bad flu, you know, and after three weeks you get over it? You know, I, I, I could, you know, it wouldn't be good, but I could do that. And, and my doctor, he's back by now. He goes, no, no. He goes, yellow fever, you know, your brain swells and it, it should go back to normal. <laughs> and like, you know, a lot of people already said I have a big head. I think that's going to be a problem, you know. And you get a rare form of very dangerous uh, hepatitis. You don't want that. And yeah, there's some people that die. Well, what are we going to do to make sure I don't get this? We don't know. And so they start trying to figure out the very next day, my doctor's going on vacation. So I'm like, now what am I going to do? He says, they'll help you. And well, I'm calling Kaiser. I'm trying to talk to people. I end up calling the Center for Disease Control in Washington, D.C., and I'm calling them, and they're, well, we got the manual right here. And they're looking through the manual. Oh, here it is. What to do if you don't get the yellow fever vaccination? Here it is. Ready? Write it down. I got it. At night, make sure you wear, you know, have a net over your bed like they see in the movies like you're in the jungle. Oh, okay. I guess I could do that, right? And, and make sure you put on a lot of bug spray because it's carried through mosquitoes. And I said to the person on the phone, I said, you know, I've been camping before and put on a lot of bug spray, and I always wake up with a mosquito bite right in the back of my leg. And this is what she says. Yeah, that could be a problem. <laughs> you think? You think? <laughs> now, as this conversation is going on, you know what's happened to my stress level? It is getting higher and higher and higher. You know why? Because the margin, the possibility for me to get this horrible disease is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I realize there's risk doing anything in life, right? The less margin you have in life, the failure is more likely. It will also increase your stress level. And the third one we don't talk to is relational intimacy decreases. Why? Because relationships happen in the margins of life. Think about it. Once you got everything done, you got to do at work and you got to do at home, you get to spend time with those people called friends and family. And you do what we all do with friends. You know, we go out to dinner, we go to a movie, we go to a sporting event together, what, you know, whatever. Life, friendships happen in the margins in life. Have you ever um, had your spouse or a close friend not have any margin? 
You can hardly get a hold of them. When you're talking to them, you can tell they're thinking about something else. When you're spending time with them, they're checking their email or texting someone. How does that work with your friendship and relationship? Not good, does it? You see, margin is a big deal. It's a big deal. That's why the Bible talks about it. Um, uh, Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And um, I want to show you an example in the life of Jesus that where he creates some margin. Luke chapter 4, verse 42, right at the end. It just seems like a transition between chapters, but here's what we read. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns, other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And I want you to notice how this starts. It says at daybreak. In other words, that means before anyone else got up. I don't know when they would get up in those days, but before anyone else got up, he got up. And it says he went to a solitary place, to a quiet place, to an isolated place. Question, when's the last time you did that? Not on vacation or anything, but like right around here. I mean, I realize we live in a fast-paced area, but when's the last time you went somewhere where you were unavailable? You either didn't take your cell phone or you turned it off. When's the last time you did that? You know? I I was thinking back to the last time that we went to literally a solitary place. Sandy and I were living in Chicago before we came here about 20 years ago, and uh, my uncle had a cabin in Branson, Missouri, and uh, um, just outside of Branson, about an hour. And um, he said, um, I know you guys don't have a lot of money, margin, basically, and you're students, and so I'll let you use the cabin for free on your vacation. And we're like, that's what we're going to do. So we got in our car, and we drove 10 hours from Chicago, Illinois, to Branson, Missouri. And we were, I mean, when we got there, it was this gorgeous cabin out in the middle of nowhere, right by the lake, you know, and uh, no one around us for what seemed to be miles. We get there, we take all our stuff in, it's so cool. He didn't have anything electronic, basically TVs or radios and that. So, so uh, we're there at night, and it's only Sandy and I go, what's that sound? Is it an animal? What's that sound? You know, there was like a hissing, ringing sound. We were checking the oven and what the st- what's going on? And we were going, what, what is that, that ringing? You know what we figured out it was? It was the sound of silence. I'm dead serious. Our, our ears were ringing from spending so much time driving and being in the city. You know what it's like to be in the city. City of Chicago, people are yelling at each other. You know, you hear gunshot wounds, honking people. I mean, things living in the city, right? We got to Brent. We couldn't hear nothing. That's what silence sounds like. And it was amazing after about three days when our ears and our heads adjusted. You talk about quiet. You talk about peaceful. You talk about solitary. When's the last time you did what Jesus did? Went to a quiet, solitary place where no one could get a hold of you. Why did he do it? Why did he, you read the Gospels, he's doing this all the time. There's at least three reasons. One, he was looking and needing for downtime. He needed downtime. Um, Let's put the next slide up there, Matthew chapter 11, 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary or or burdened. Question, are you? Are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you stressed? Are you mentally tired? Jesus says, come to me, I'm going to help you out. And then look at this next section. Take my yoke and learn from me. Learn from me. In other words, live your life like I live my life. Now, this is Jesus. 
the Son of God, Savior of the world, found it important and necessary every so often to go to a quiet, solitary space. If he thought he could do it and needed to do it, where do you come off thinking you don't need it? That's what I'm asking. It's critically significant and important. In about 15, 20 minutes, you're going to get in your cars, you're going to drive home. When you get in your car, look at your dashboard. You're going to see all kinds of instruments and gauges, you know, something that tells you how much gas you have left and how much, how, the temperature of your car and the oil pressure and how fast you're driving and everything. There's also going to be a gauge in there that tells you your or the motor engine's RPM. RPM. RPM stands for revolutions per minute. If you talk to a mechanic or an engineer, they will tell you that is a term that they use regularly to talk about rotations around fixed axis. Basically, when you're talking about a car, all it really means is how, how quickly your motor or your engine is turning over. That's what it means. If you get in your car and you keep it in park and you gun the, 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 the gas pedal, the RPMs will go, and it'll go way high. And then you put it in gear, you start driving, it'll stabilize. If you drive a stick shift, you know how it works. If you're supposed to you know, change gears, but you're going, it'll go in RPMs, and then when you change gears, it'll go back to an acceptable level. Here's what I'm saying. When you look at that gauge, if you get too far, you have what's called a red zone. You, it's right there in your gauge. It's the red zone. If the needle gets to the red zone, what I've been told by mechanics is for a short period of time, your car can exist and operate in the red zone. But if you keep your car revving in the red zone. It means you're pushing too hard. It means you're going too fast. And it means that if you, at some point in time, don't get out of that red zone, you will eventually blow the engine of your car. Some of you here today are mentally exhausted and tired, and the reason is you're spending too much time in the red zone. You can be there for a while. We've all been there. You know, things going on at home, things going on at work. You're crazy busy. If you spend too much time in the red zone, I'm here to tell you, I am not a trained therapist and counselor, but within the next six weeks or six months, you will experience some sort of a mental breakdown. I'm not that kind of person. I got things under control. You may think you have things under control, but you're a pain in the neck to everyone else who's around you because you're living in that red zone. How do you solve that? You need some downtime. For every one of us, it's a little bit different, but you have got to figure out a way, just like Jesus did, to get to some sort of a quiet, solitary, restful place where you can decompress. Another reason he did it is he needed some God time. He needed some God time. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first his kingdom. In other words, make sure you have some God time and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. One of the things that I've noticed, this is just by observation, is as you squeeze margin out of your life, by accident, you also seem to squeeze God out of your life. Have you ever, have you ever had one of these conversations? You bump into someone who used to be at church at the supermarket. Hey, where you been? What's going on? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know I should be that. I, you know, things just got so busy. Things just got so busy. And what's so fascinating to me is when our life gets busy, it's fascinating to me that God time is one of the first things to go. It's one of the first things to go. See, if Satan can't make you really, really bad, his next strategy is to make you really, really busy. 
Because either way, he's got you. You need to schedule some downtime. You need to schedule some God time. But to make that happen, the way you make it happen, to do what Jesus did, you need to schedule some prioritized time. You need to prioritize your time. Look at, look at what he did. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to him where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. And the New Living Translation says they begged him to stay. Why? He just was been teaching them. He's been healing them. He's been helping them. We want you to do more of that. All good things. But see, you and I both know that if you keep adding good things to your life and good things to your life and good things to your life, eventually the most important things for your life get pushed to the side. Because you can't fit it all in. So Jesus says to them, but he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. What is he saying? He's saying that, you know, hanging out with you and healing more people and teaching more people is important. But what's most important, my highest priority, is to tell the gospel to people who haven't heard it yet. That's my priority. See, one of the issues that so many of us have in life is we are living according to OPA. You know what that stands for, right? Other people's agenda. That's how you live your life. Now, between eight and five, it's somewhat reasonable that our boss would tell us what we're to do. That makes sense, right? Or the company we work for. But the rest of the time, you are not living according to what you think is important. You're living according to what all the rest of us are adding into your life. You need to set your schedule before the rest of us set it for you. If you don't organize your schedule, you will agonize with your schedule. You must prioritize your time. You decide what's most important. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to give you six words. I just want you to write six words down. As we're going through, I want you to pick one or two. Here's the first word I want you to write down, value. Value. Joy already read a verse, a passage that kind of talks about the same idea. Psalm 39, verse 4 and 5. Notice what is bolded. Show me, O Lord, my life's end. Is, is this just me or is that a strange thing to ask God? Show me how it's all going to come to an end. Why does he want this? Show me my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You, you have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say, you may not be here tomorrow. You may not be here next week. Our life goes by so incredibly quick. You need to enjoy and value Today, don't live by the someday syndrome. You meet people that go, well, you know, I'll get around to doing that, what I really want someday. Someday when I get to school and, you know, then someday I'll do, someday when I graduate from school, because you know it's a lot, a lot of work, then, you know, when I graduate and I get my career, then I, you know what, someday when I get married, then I'll be able to really make that happen and I'll get, you know, someday when we have kids, you know, pastor, you know how it is with young kids, someday when they grow up, then we'll, Someday when they graduate and they head off to college, then I'll get a, you know, someday when I retire, don't live for someday, live for today. Today is what you have. Now, you're not going to go on a cruise today. I don't think anyone's going on a cruise today, but you can enjoy today. You can value today. And the Bible has all these passages talking about, I don't care, you're young, you're old, tomorrow is not guaranteed to you. It's very significant to realize our lives go by very quickly. This, ne this date probably means very little or nothing to you. March 18th, 2057. It means a whole lot to me. That's when I'm scheduled to die. I'm not kidding you. You can go to deathclock.com. 
that's some of you, all, some of you, that's all you're going to do today. I'm going to check that out. Or .net or the de- death clock. And, you, and they ask you like about 15 questions, right? Male or female, when you were born, what kind of lifestyle you live, do you drink, do you exercise? All these questions. Your BMI, which is basically how fat are you, and all, you know, all that stuff. And you fill it all out and click. Boom. March 18, 2057 is when you're going to go, Dave. And so I, when I first saw that, I was like, dang. April 12th is my birthday. If I could just last just a little longer, I could, you know. So what's really cool is you can go back and change the answers to some of your questions. And it changes the date, you know. So you're changing, you know, some questions. So I changed, I changed. And here's what I figured out. I could live an extra two years if I lost eight pounds. So I'm like, I don't think I'm going to have that donut this morning. You know what I'm saying? Two extra years. I did this for Sandy right? She can live an extra six years. Six years. All she has to do is stop smoking two packs a day. So we are really hoping for... No, she's, <laughs> she's, she's not a smoker. <laughs> but uh, I thought that was really funny. She didn't... When she heard it the first heard. You've got a date. See, that kid has a date too. They're very upset. We all have a date, right? We all have a day when we're going to go. Enjoy it today value he needs a donut get him a donut someone very very quickly you have a day so value today second word i want you to write down is balance balance proverbs chapter 23 verse 4 do not wear yourself out to get rich have enough wisdom to show restraint that does not mean you shouldn't work hard it means that some of us are being robbed of a life of meaning not because you're not committed but because you're overcommitted you're overcommitted. When people are overcommitted to their work, we call them workaholics. But you can be overcommitted to anything. You could be overcommitted to a hobby. Let's just pick one. I like golf. You can be overcommitted to golf. There's nothing wrong with golf. But you do too much of it, it messes the rest of your life up. You can be overcommitted. You know one of the things that I've noticed recently? Maybe it's just me. It seems like we are overcommitted to stacking our kids' life with more and more activities. Is it just me or do our children need like palm pilots now to figure out everything they're supposed to be doing? Do they really need some activity every night of the week? And going into weekends, we can barely get them to church because they got all they got sports and they got all these other things going. Really? Is that what we've come to? If you live an overcommitted life, you are losing out somewhere somehow. You're losing out. Now, nothing wrong with all those things, but you need, you need work time and downtime and vacation time and you need some sick time and you need some NFL time and you get some stamping time and you get some friend time. And you, you need all of it. You gotta figure out how to balance it. If there's one area of your life that's overcommitted, I guarantee you there's something that's lacking. There's something in your life that's lacking. So we have value, we have balance. The third word is prioritize. This is the third time it's come up in the message. Now I want you to write it down. Philippians 3.13, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, not 10 things I try or 30 things I dabble in. One thing I do, you have to have priorities in life. Psalm 90 verse 12, Teach us to use wisely all the time we have. What's most important to you? Now, you have to have flexibility. Occasionally, I hear pastors go, the most important thing to me is God, and the second most important thing is family, and third is the church. Church always comes third. Well, that is so naive. 
You can't say that with your job. Family comes ahead of your job, but there's times when your job, you know, you have to do something, you can't be home. There has to be flexibility, but you still have to set your priorities. You have to set what is most important in life. Fourth word I want you to write down, this is going to be really hard for some of you, eliminate. Some of you have to get rid of some stuff in your life. Some of you are, 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 are doing things too much that you ought not be doing. Look at Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 from the message. I love it how it says it. Don't waste your time on useless work. Mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham that they are. It's a scandal when people waste their lives. Some of us are doing things. We're just wasting time. I googled the top 10 time wasters in our life. Let me show you what they are. Uh, number 10, internet browsing. You just start surfing the web. Before you know it, you've been on for two and a half hours. Commuting. I was very interested that this came up on various lists. Well, what am I going to do? I got to commute. I got to commute. What am I going to do? What they were saying is we are wasting our commute time. We're just kind of in there listening to, you know, talk radio or whatever. Use that commute time. You know, get on, get your earpiece and start calling people you need to make contact with. It could be a time of personal enrichment. There's all these books on tape or sermons you can download. But make that commute time productive is what they were saying. TV. Anything wrong with TV? No. It says some of us are spending too much time. The average American spends between 21 and 31 hours watching TV a week. And that is increasing at a rapid pace. You know why it's increasing? Because of TiVo and DVR. Remember the days when, when, when if you wanted to watch a show, you know, and, and you weren't going to be home, you had to try and figure out the VCR. You're like, ah, forget it. I won't watch it. Remember those days? Now, boom, I can tape it for the whole season, never miss it. Never miss any show I want. You know, we are spending, some of us, way, way too much time watching TV. We're wasting our time, some of it. A messy office or home. Well, I know where everything's at. Well, good for you. I'm telling you, every single research that has been done, every single one says the emotional energy you are spending is wasting time. You can laugh about it. You could smile about it. You could say, that's just my personality. Good for you. You're wasting time. You're wasting time. Facebook and Twitter, anything wrong with it? No, nothing wrong with it. Except some of us are spending way too much time on it. Can I, just tell, tell, can I just say to you on behalf of the rest of us, we don't need to see your 30 pictures posted from vacation. We'll survive without them. Keep that 30 minutes to yourself. Some of us are spending way too much time on Facebook. Um, interruptions, phones, and cell phone, and texting. Have you ever been texting someone? Back and forth, back and forth. And before you know it, you've been texting them for 45 minutes. Have you ever had one of those situations? And you know, you're like, you're like, you know what would be cool? When are they going to come up with some sort of device that, that I can actually talk to the person instead of having to text them? Oh, we already have one of those. <laughs> Lack of planning is number three. We just don't plan. Procrastination is another reason we waste time. And the number one time waster is watching 49er games with your cat. There you have it right there. Thank you. Thank you very much. It is very hard to get under the skin of two groups of people with one joke, but I'm a highly trained professional. There it is right there. Thank you. Okay, no, really, the number one waster is lack of prioritizing. Okay, lack of prioritizing. Here's what I'm saying. You want to get margin in your life? Some of you have to start cutting. You got to cut something. You could cut some of those. You got to start cutting. No excuse. You got to start cutting. Get rid of some stuff. 
You don't have to watch every new show coming on TV. You can go out three times a month instead of four times a month. That's seven hours. You know and I know. By the time you get there and you drive and you put your shoes on and five hours worth of golf, seven hours, bam. You've got to cut something. You've got to eliminate. The next one is chill. Write that word down, chill. If that's too informal for you, write down relax. Now, some of you, some of you teenagers are going, that's right. I'm just creating some margin, chilling. No, no. This is the fifth word. You do it fifth. You first start by valuing, then you balance, then you prioritize, then you eliminate, and then you can chill. Why? This is important. Because some of us who are compulsive workers, it, just, let's just talk about home. Isn't it true? There's always, always laundry to fold, dishes to wash, a, a room to vacuum, a bathroom to paint, a garage to clean, and on. It never ends. But if you've done those other ones, not only do you need to give yourself permission, but you must have the maturity to learn how to chill out and relax and be okay with not everything being done. It requires maturity to do that. You, did God have everything done when he created the world? No, he could have created more butterflies and different... Ant- he could have done more, but he relaxed and, and, and rested anyway. The last one, last word that I want you to write down is honor. Specifically, you need to honor God. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord adds, adds length to life. Other translation says, gives you more time in the day. You want more time in the day? Here's what God does. Honor me and I'll figure out a way for you to be more productive. You, you know that, that thing you're working on, that thing you're trying to fix at home? You honor me, I'll make sure you get it done in 45 minutes. You don't honor me, it's gonna take you three and a half hours. That's, that's not a verse in the Bible. I'm just trying to help you understand. That's what he says. Honor him. Well, what do you want me to do, Dave? You figure it out. There's like a hundred different things. Pick one. Pick three. So here's what I need you to do. Let's put the summary one up there. Value, balance, prioritize, eliminate, chill, and honor. I want you to pick one or two. Look at it. Look at it. Pick one or two. Don't try and do them all. Pick one or two. You got them? You got it? Okay, the band's going to come up. I want you to tell the people next to you which one you're going to do. Do it right now. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.